Well, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Um, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> oh. One of the hardest things, by the way, about being up here is not getting to sit with my family. So, um, hey, Henry, you're okay, bud. <laughs> well, we um, just bear with me for a second because I want us to consider moms and then consider um, how that might fit with our gospel passage this morning. And, and I promise you, if this goes as planned, um, what we start with will be very similar to what we end with. Um, it might not seem like it in the middle, so simply bear with me. Um, I'm guessing that there are a few of you mothers who woke up one day and said, wow, I can't wait to be a mom so I can have lots of free time. <laughs> a few of you woke up and said, I can't wait to be a mom so I can pamper myself all day long. Um, that's just not how it works, is it? There's something very Christ-like in being a mother, something very Christ-like in um, giving up so much of yourself um, for your children, for your husband, for your families. Um, there's something very Christ-like in that because, because as moms, you, you lay lots of stuff down. You give lots of stuff up so that you can serve in this capacity. And here's the amazing thing about it. The amazing thing about you mothers is you do it joyfully and you do it willingly and you can't imagine doing anything else. You can't imagine doing anything else except to give of yourself like that. It's very Christ-like. Jesus Christ willingly gave himself up. Willingly gave up his position in heaven. Willingly walked on this earth full of sinful people. Willingly died on a cross for our salvation. That loving, self-giving willingness, joyful willingness to give yourself for others um, is, is very Christ-like, moms. And, and I, I commend you for that. And I thank you for that. And I want you to keep that now, keep that image of mom in the back of your head as we consider then our gospel passage this morning. Because what we're going to see is a call from Jesus to his church to be um, motherly, if you will, to be Christ-like, to be self-giving and serving of others. That, that's the, the call that Jesus here is giving his disciples. Um, we're in John's gospel. Maybe some of you might have Bibles or something, maybe on a smartphone, or you can pull those out. That might be good. Um, we're in John's gospel, chapter 17, and consider what's going on here. These words that we just read were Jesus' last words to his disciples before his death. He says a few other things in the gospel, but this is, this is a private meeting with Jesus and his disciples, very intimate setting. He's praying to God, and these are the last words that his disciples will hear from Jesus before he dies. And so there's got to be, there's some weight there. This is a weighty passage. Jesus is, is the last thing he can impart to his followers before his death, and, and he's got some important things to say, and, and we would do well to consider them. And so what we see here in John's Gospel is that Jesus is calling his disciples and the, the, the followers of his disciples, which goes down from generation to generation to us today. You can consider these words of Jesus spoken directly to you today here at St. Paul's in Somerville. What he's calling us to is to, um, is to unity, is to being one, is to being united in Christ. 
Why are we called to unity? For the spread of the gospel, how are we going to do it? Through the glory of Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. Being united in order to spread the gospel through the power of the glory of Christ. So let's get started. We're in John chapter 17. Um, We start at verse 20. and, And here's what's amazing. We read six verses this morning. Four of them, a full two-thirds of them, talk about Christian unity. Of the last six verses of Jesus' speech to his disciples, two-thirds of them talk about being unified in Christ. So we have verse 21. Jesus prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become what? Perfectly one. Verse 26, that your love... My love may be in them, and I in them. Why? So we will be united. Two-thirds of our verses this morning talk about unity in Christ. And the earliest church picked this up as well. Peter, um, James, the book of Hebrews, all of these books have very strong themes encouraging followers of Jesus Christ to be united, to be one. Uh, Paul, the apostle, this is a huge theme in all of his letters. The first part of our baptism liturgy this morning, right? It comes right, after, right out of his letter to the Ephesians. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, 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 one God and Father of all. So this is important. This is very important, this idea of being one, of being unified, and and we need to hang on to it. We can't lose it. We can't lose it. But but let's pause there for a second because it's um, it's not any sort of unity. It's not simply, well, we're a church that loves the Gamecocks, so we're going to be united in that, right? 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 Kennedy's? Yeah. No. What? Ah. No, it's more than that. It's, it's a much higher um, calling that we have. And so, so we're called to, to live with, with a certain degree of, of tension in our lives as we're unified. Because what are we unified around? Jesus Christ, his salvation, his death, and his resurrection. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim Christ crucified. Everything else around that is, is, is secondary, And we need to learn to live with these tensions. So maybe we have um, people on the left politically and people on the right politically. Now, you got to pay attention. That's backwards for you. So people on the left politically, people on the right politically. But we can come together and worship the one Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Or we have Gamecocks and Tigers. Or we have um, uh, Isaiah talks about dogs and, um, and, and, and cats, and we have lions and lambs, all, all together in this tension of difference, worshiping the one Lord, Jesus Christ. And so our unity flows from that. We can't be united around anything else. There's nothing else so powerful and so true as Jesus Christ. And so when we lose that, our unity just falls apart. Churches that are are infighting and bitter and destructive are largely that because they've lost the focus on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we're called to be unified. Why? Why? Our unity 
is not for us. It's not so we can be big, one big happy family and, 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 and be all smiles here on Sunday morning. Yeah, that's part of it. What we're doing here is great, and it, it draws us together, but there's a purpose for us coming together. There's a purpose for our unity, and that is so that we can be sent out into the world. Let's look at verse 21, um, the second part of that. Jesus prays. He says, um, that they may all be one. I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see that up there? Why are we unified? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. We're unified so that those who don't go to church, those who don't know Jesus Christ, will look at us, the body of Christ, St. Paul's Somerville, Christians around the world, that non-believers would look at that and that they would see Jesus Christ. A unified church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, the challenge is, in our Western culture, we, we, we really have sort of lost our handle on what that means and what that looks like. Um, you know, sometime in, uh, near the, around the fall of the Roman Empire, a little bit before that, the the, the, the Christianity became the official religion of the empire. And everybody started becoming Christian. So that by medieval times, if you worked on a farm here, and a couple miles down the road you had a neighbor working on a farm, and a couple miles down the road there was another neighbor, and you went to tell them about Jesus, they would already know. That, that pretty much everyone for a significant period of time in the West was already Christian. And so the proclamation of the gospel became kind of redundant, and we kind of lost sight of this. And so, because we all believed in Jesus, it was easy to group into sort of like clusters. And we had, you know, churches over here, and churches over there, and churches over here, and the unity didn't matter because everybody believed. And even, I mean, even recently, and even, you know, Somerville, even today, sometimes it can feel like everybody's Christian. Neighbor on your left, neighbor on your right, across the street, they all go to church somewhere. And so we can lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of people who don't believe. And when they look at a broken and disunified church, they think they're no different than everybody else. Why do I need Jesus? I can get that by myself. And so we're called to more, something bigger, something higher. Leslie Newbegin was a bishop in India, an Anglican bishop. Um, he's written a number of really great books, um, Gospel in a Pluralist Society, if you're looking for one. Great book. Um, it's heavy, but it's good. He was a bishop in India. And, and so he leaves Europe, goes to India, and all of a sudden there's a lot of different religions. There's a lot of different faiths. There's a lot of different gods, Buddhist, Hindu. I mean, the list could go on and on. And, and they're worshiping all sorts of folks. And so, so he comes in... To, to proclaim Jesus Christ, and what he finds is there's a few folks who are already there doing the same thing. There's maybe some Lutherans, maybe some Presbyterians, some Catholics, and they're all proclaiming Jesus Christ, but they all have their own church on every corner doing their own thing. And the folks in India look at that, and they say, well, we've got that. We've got a bunch of different gods and a bunch of different places to worship and a bunch of different proclamations. We don't need Jesus because we've got it ourselves. And Leslie Newbegin looked at this and he said, this isn't going to work. And so what did he do? 
he worked with the, these Presbyterians and these um, Lutherans, and, and he brought everybody together. And they didn't worship under their own names anymore. They worshiped under one name, the Church of South India. They proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were unified in their message. And what happened? It exploded. The church exploded because they were proclaiming one Jesus Christ. And they were unified in doing it. In any sort of infighting and discord, they, they set that aside to proclaim the gospel. And here's the challenge that, that we're starting to face today. Where it's going to keep getting worse, so, so be ready. The culture that Leslie Newbegin encountered, the culture that Jesus Christ encountered, the culture of the Roman Empire that the earliest church encountered is very similar to the culture that we are starting to encounter now. And now here in Somerville, we live in our happy little bubble, and it, it seems very nice all the time, and most of the time it, it is, and, and we don't really f- feel like, like the world is becoming less Christian, but we see it. We see it in the newspapers. And if you move to other parts of the country, you definitely see it. And if you go to Europe, you absolutely see it. it is, this bastion of Christianity is now the most secular place in the world, in Europe. And so we're coming to a day when not everybody's a Christian anymore. And that is an amazing opportunity for the church to proclaim the one unified gospel of Jesus Christ. He prays that we may be one so that folks who don't know him will come to know him, so that they will see us um, giving food out, to, to giving up a Saturday morning to give food away to folks who don't have any. That, that is... That is unity in Christ serving others. And people see that, and they come to know Jesus Christ. So, that's all fine and good. Um, The question is, how? What does this look like if we're to be unified? I mean, we all love each other. We're all here. But but if we're going to be unified, what does this look like? Well, let's read on um, verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. Why should they be one? So that the world can know Jesus Christ. How are they going to do this? The glory you have given me, verse 22, the glory that, all right, so the glory that God has given to Jesus, Jesus says, I have given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. God gives glory to Jesus Christ. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives that glory to his followers. Why? So that they may be one and so that the world may know Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking, that sounds pretty cool. I'll take some glory. Come on, Jesus, give me some of that. Um, his disciples, James and John, this is a great Mother's Day story, by the way, they're walking down the road with their mother, and they're following Jesus, and their mother goes up to Jesus and she says, excuse me, Jesus, in your kingdom, I want my boys to sit at your right and your left. They wanted the glory. They wanted the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, here, I'm giving you the glory. And so we're like, come on, bring it on. But do we know what that means? Do we know what that means? Let's go um, 
If we read all of 17, we would see here in the first verse of chapter 17, Jesus opens his prayer like this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come, glorify your Son. That's what he prays. He says, glorify your Son, glorify me. He says this prayer of chapter 17, he says, Amen. Everybody else says, Amen. So be it. He goes out to the garden, and the answer to his prayer is that he is arrested, and he is tried, and he is crucified. Arrested, tried, and crucified. He asks for glory, and he gets the cross. The glory of Jesus Christ is not earthly glory. It's not earthly power. It's not earthly status. It's a bloody cross. It's sacrifice. It's self-giving. It's dying on that cross so that my sin, so that your sin would be forgiven. So that when Jesus rises from the dead, we can rise again with him. Forgiven. Loved. Cherished. Being sanctified, being made one, so that we can proclaim the gospel. And how do we do it? With that same glory, with that self giving, with that self sacrifice, with that pouring out of our hearts into other people. You see it in your mothers, you see it in your wives. And that same sort of love and that same sort of service we are called to give to the world as one body so that they may know Jesus Christ. That's our call. That's what we are called to do. And so you have to ask yourself this question. When when I leave here, how am I going to show my unity with Christ? How am I going to show my unity with my fellow believers? This is is huge. There There are major churches all over the world fighting and bitter. How can I do anything? You can give yourself up for others. You can serve them. You can love them. You can give them money when they don't have any. You can give up your time to give them food. You can um, grab one of our St. Paul's service cards and just leave it on a table when you leave the restaurant and give them a big tip and say, I love you because Jesus loved you. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because that's what God did for us. And we do it together, and we do it in his glory, so that the world may know the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have called us to this incredibly daunting task, that we may be one. Help us, Lord, to start with ourselves, that we would serve each other, that we would serve this world, that doing so, those who don't know you, those who don't believe you, would see your grace and your mercy and your power of salvation. Send your Holy Spirit now to charge each one of us to light our hearts on fire for your gospel. Send us out into this world proclaiming your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.
Now may the peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you.